Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. The Catechism in a Year is brought to you by Ascension. In 365 days, we'll read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, discovering our identity in God's family as we journey together toward our heavenly home. This is day 307. We are reading paragraphs 2351 to 2356. As always, I am using the Ascension edition of the Catechism, which includes a Foundations of Faith approach, but you can follow along with any recent version of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can also download your own Catechism in a Year reading plan by visiting ascensionpress.com slash CIY, and you can click follow or subscribe to your podcast app for daily updates and daily notifications today. As I said, it's day 307, reading paragraphs 2351 to 2356. Yesterday, we talked about the integrality of the gift of self and the various forms of chastity, right? Today... We're looking, kind of taking a turn and well, not a turn, but we're looking at what are the offenses against chastity? So yesterday we talked about, and the day before we talked about how chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. And so that there's a goodness there, right? There's integrity we have to have. And then the integrality of the gift that we're giving, making of ourselves to others. Now there's ways we can sin against chastity. And so I guess we can just kind of name them quickly before we launch into them today. Generally speaking, there's lust. Then go on, well, how can lust be lived out? You know, how that sin of lust be lived out or given into? One is mas- by masturbation. One is by fornication. One's by pornography. We have prostitution and rape uh, today. So really serious topics. Tomorrow, we're continuing to talk about serious topics. But today we have those. And, you know, when it comes to the commandments, we've talked about this so many times, there's the invitation and the challenge. And there's the, the reality that we can find ourselves in a place where, oh man, this is what I've done. And we can be convicted by that. In this section today, there is that, oh, this is what I've done. But there's also, this is what someone's done to me. There's also that brokenness here because we recognize that there's a uniqueness to, how I say sexual brokenness, isn't there? I, it's, it seems my, like there is. And here's, here's the case that I'm going to make for that. So if, if you're familiar with the TV show Law and Order, right? So it's, it's the kind of cop slash courtroom drama that they make. They have how many different versions of, of Law and Order. But one of the versions, one of the variations of this TV show Law and Order, there is Law and Order SVU. And that stands for Special Victims Unit. And even in the introduction, they say something along the lines of, this is for crimes that are particularly heinous because they deal with what? They deal with sexuality. They deal with assaults against the human person in the area of sexuality. And so there's special victims unit. Now, in today's section, I just want to highlight that because there's a sensitivity. Again, some of these things are things that, oh man, um, this is a, a sin that I have in myself. But sometimes there's these things that this was an assault that I experienced someone else perpetrated against me. And in this moment, I just want to recognize and, and pause and say, as we walk into this, into this teaching today, there is no finger wagging. There is no um, accusation. Remember, the evil one is the accuser. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us, but he also consoles us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. What was, what was my part of this? But he also consoles us. But my invitation, you know, there's such a thing as real guilt and there's also fake guilt. Real guilt is, yep, that's what I was responsible for. And fake guilt is where I feel responsible, but it wasn't my fault. And in all of this, to recognize that whether this brokenness you're experienced, 
whether this is a result of I did this to myself or someone else did this to me, your dignity is still intact. I just want you to hear this. Your dignity is still intact as we talk about these things. Again, lust, masturbation, fornication, pornography, prostitution, rape. Your dignity is still your dignity. You still are made in God's image and likeness. You are still, as God declares, you are still worth living for. You are still worth dying for. You are still worth conquering death for because that's your worth. And that's how much God loves you as we talk about these topics. And just keep that in mind. Let the Holy Spirit convict us, but also let the Holy Spirit console us. This is part of your story. Your story is not over. God can and will continue to bring you healing. That's what we're praying for right now. So let's pray right now. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, I ask that all of those members of this catechism in your community receive your healing in a unique way today. Receive the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ in a unique way today. That whether we are filled with self-inflicted wounds or whether our wounds have been inflicted on us by others, remind us, remind us of our value in your eyes. Remind us, remind my sisters and brothers of their great goodness, the dignity that you have not taken away, the dignity that you have affirmed in them right now. In this moment, Lord God, please console their hearts. Where we need to repent, we repent. Where we need you to heal us, please, Lord God, heal us. And we make this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is day 307. We are reading paragraphs 2351 to 2356. Offenses against chastity. Lust is disordered desire for or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. By masturbation is to be understood the deliberate stimulation of the genital organs in order to derive sexual pleasure. Both the magisterium of the church in the course of a constant tradition and the moral sense of the faithful have been in no doubt and have firmly maintained that masturbation is an intrinsically and gravely disordered action. The deliberate use of the sexual faculty for whatever reason outside of marriage is essentially contrary to its purpose. For here, sexual pleasure is sought outside of the sexual relationship, which is demanded by the moral order and in which the total meaning of mutual self-giving and human procreation in the context of true love is achieved. To form an equitable judgment about the subject's moral responsibility and to guide pastoral action, one must take into account the effective immaturity, force of acquired habit, conditions of anxiety, or other psychological or social factors that can lessen, if not even reduce to a minimum, moral culpability. Fornication is a carnal union between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman. It is gravely contrary to the dignity of persons and of human sexuality, which is naturally ordered to the good of spouses and the generation and education of children. Moreover, it is a grave scandal when there is corruption of the young. Pornography consists in removing real or simulated sexual acts from the intimacy of the partners in order to display them deliberately to third parties. It offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, the intimate giving of spouses to each other. It does grave injury to the dignity of its participants, actors, vendors, the public, since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. 
It immerses all who are involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. It is a grave offense. Civil authorities should prevent the production and distribution of pornographic materials. Prostitution does injury to the dignity of the person who engages in it, reducing the person to an instrument of sexual pleasure. The one who pays sins gravely against himself. He violates the chastity to which his baptism pledged him and defiles his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Prostitution is a social scourge. It usually involves women, but also men, children, and adolescents. The latter two cases involve the added sin of scandal. While it is always gravely sinful to engage in prostitution, the imputability of the offense can be attenuated by destitution, blackmail, or social pressure. Rape is the forcible violation of the sexual intimacy of another person. It does injury to justice and charity. Rape deeply wounds the respect, freedom, and physical and moral integrity to which every person has a right. It causes grave damage that can mark the victim for life. It is always an intrinsically evil act. Graver still is the rape of children committed by parents, incest, or those responsible for the education of the children entrusted to them. All right, there we have it, paragraphs 2351 to 2356. As I said, um, Special Victims Unit, this is uh, highly sensitive, obviously, especially at the end, right? It's worth noting how devastating, let's, uh, let's start at the end, I guess, <laughs> 2355, prostitution, or even 2354, pornography. That, that recognition of this does grave injury to the dignity of its participants. That's 2354 pornography. The actors, the vendors, the public, everyone involved in this, everyone, it does grave injury to every person's dignity, whether they be, again, the actors, the people making this thing, even those who are consuming it, even just to the culture. Pornography does grave injury to the dignity of everyone involved. Why? Since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. It immerses everyone who's involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. And this, this recognition, again, so, so destructive. So destructive. And so many people find themselves caught. You know, I, I think it was something along the lines of the vast, vast majority of marriages that end in divorce. Pornography was a part of that. It's like, well, it's, it's victimless crime. Nope, not at all. Not at all. Well, those people in, involved are, are, are willing participants. Nope, not always. Maybe, maybe sometimes, but not always. In fact, there's a book uh, by a man named Matt Frad. It's called The Porn Myth. And it is very revealing. And it's, it's simply from a, it's not from a, a religious perspective, although Matt is very Catholic. It is simply a secular perspective on the devastating reality of the world of pornography. Not only the devastating reality of all that goes into producing and distributing this, but also what it does to individuals, what it does to marriages and families, what it does to a culture. Again, this is so, it's just, it's fascinating to realize, you know, oh, the sixth commandment, the ninth commandment, it's just another one of the two more of the 10. Yes, yes, because other things are very important, obviously. And yet, how much this hurts, how much this hurts our world. Theft, of course, hurts our world. Lies, of course, hurt our world. But this has a unique way of hurting. Prostitution, here 2355, does injury to the dignity of the person who engages in it, reducing that person to an instrument of sexual pleasure. The person who pays sins gravely against himself. The catechism says here, it is a social scourge. 
who can it involve? It says usually involves women, but also men, children, adolescents. And it's to recognize like that. Hmm. Where do you even start with this? Where do you, where, where does a person even, even start to say, okay, this is an issue and this is a massive problem. How do we tackle this? How do you end this? At the same time, I, I appreciate how the last sentence of paragraph 2355 highlights the fact that those involved in prostitution, those meaning those who are being used, um, yes, while it's always gravely sinful to engage in prostitution, whether someone's culpable, right? Whether they're actually guilty of the offense, it says can be attenuated, right? Reduced or whatever by destitution, blackmail, social pressure, that there are realities that a person who finds himself engaged in prostitution, finds himself selling their sexuality, finds himself selling, selling their bodies, that, um, that they're, yes, always sinful, but they might not be culpable of that. Because again, destitution, I had no other, no other choice, no other way out that at least was presented to me, or blackmail or social pressure, those things exist. The last one here of 2356 of rape. Um, it's even hard. I, I don't know. I, I literally, I find it pers- so hard to say, even to say that word. Forcible violation of the sexual intimacy of another person. It does injury to justice. It does inter- injury to love. And, and this, I, I want to read this because I think that if, if this has been part of your life, it is I think it's worth hearing what the church says about this in the sense of like the church knows, okay, this is, this is how, how deeply this wounds. So it says, rape deeply wounds the respect, freedom, and physical and moral integrity to which every person has a right. And I think I, I, I want you to hear this as the church saying, I, I see you. And if you're like, you don't understand what it's done to me, here's, you're, you're right, you're probably right. But here the church is saying, but we know that it deeply wounds the respect to which you have a right, the freedom to which you have a right, the physical and moral integrity. That's your, that's your life. That's your physical integrity, right? That's your moral integrity that someone else violated. You had a right for that. And it causes grave damage that can mark the victim for life. And if you find yourself, again, being someone who is a victim of rape, sexual assault, and that still wounds you, I just... I know it might might not help anything, but maybe it help. Maybe it helps a little bit to realize that the church is saying, "No, we know this. We know that that has caused grave damage. It can mark you for life." You find yourself still struggling. The church is saying, "Yeah, we we understand." There've been enough people who have been hurt. Too many people who have been hurt, and of course, it's always an intrinsically evil act, and it comes becomes even graver when it's the rape of children by parents, incest, and or those responsible for the education of the children entrusted to them. Any adult who's supposed to be in that, that child's life, whether that be a teacher or a coach or, or priest, authority figure, even graver. The church here, I, I think in these words, just wants to highlight the fact that yes, if this has been part of your story, and if you are carrying wounds, then the church is saying maybe like, we see you, we see them, we know we understand even a little bit. I mean, we know the catechism isn't a therapy book. It's not a, it's not a book that's going to necessarily heal. It's a book that teaches and reveals. And what it teaches is that this is absolutely evil. It reveals that hopefully, and, and again, maybe it's too little, but I don't know. It reveals that 
officially the church knows the great wound. And it's all, and this is the thing, it's all connected. You know, I, I started with these, these last three paragraphs, 23, 54, 55, and 56, pornography, prostitution, and rape. But it doesn't start there. They, these, all these come, they're connected to 2351, which is lust. The, the disordered desire for inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure, right? It's a disordered desire. We, we recognize that sexual pleasure is oriented to be a gift of oneself leading to the procreative and unitive ends. So paragraph 2351 talks about this and that, that sexual, sexual desire on its own is not a bad thing. Sexual desire on its own has been given to us by God. We're built this way. I mean, this is, this is part of what it is to be human, a human being. It also, what it is, what sexual, the sexual act is, is ordered towards what? The gift of self, ordered towards procreation, right? The conception and raising of children and unit of purposes, which is the, the bonding of the spouses. So keep this in mind. This is going to be very, very important for us as we continue to understand like what is, what is ordered sexual relationships? Well, it's a gift of self. It's not sought for my own self, not sought for this other person's own self. It's a gift of self ordered towards procreation, meaning ordered towards conception. Now, conception doesn't always have to happen. We'll talk about that as we continue to move forward. But that is what the sexual act is. It must always, if it's going to be ordered, it has to be a gift of self ordered towards procreation and the unity of the spouses. Any, any distortion of that when, okay, it's no longer for the unity of the spouses. Okay, that's a big distortion. And it's no longer oriented towards procreation. Okay, that's a big distortion. It's no longer oriented towards being a gift of self. That's a massive distortion. That's why it says in the very next paragraph, 2352, masturbation. But what is that? Okay, it's, it's the deliberate stipulation of the genital organs in order to derive sexual pleasure. And remember, an ordered sexual desire is for the gift of self oriented towards procreation and unity between the spouses. And yet in masturbation, sexual pleasure is sought. It says here at the last line on, on paragraph 2352, here in, in masturbation, Sexual pleasure is sought outside of the sexual relationship, which is demanded by the moral order, and in which the total meaning of mutual self-giving and human procreation in the context of true love is achieved. Instead of mutual self-giving, this is singular selfishness. Essentially, that's one of the grave disorders of masturbation. It trains a person in selfishness. It trains a person in selfishness where the sexual function is oriented towards, in, when it's ordered, right? It's ordered towards mutual self-giving ordered towards procreation and unity. And yet masturbation is training in selfishness. Now, this is an important part because again, someone might find themselves struggling in a place of like discouragement. The second half of paragraph 2352 says this, to form an equitable judgment about the subject's moral responsibility. So here's a person who finds themselves in this pattern of, I've trained myself in selfishness. Remember the quote from St. Augustine the other day that lust became a habit and that once that habit, it became like a necessity. So there could be a someone who finds himself, I find it very difficult to break away from this sin. So are they culpable or are they not as morally responsible? It says one must take into account the affective immaturity. So here is a, an adolescent who's discovering this reality, or the force of acquired habit. This person has given in so much that they find it hard to break free from this. Conditions of anxiety or other psychological or social factors can lessen, if not reduce to a minimum, moral culpability. 
What does this mean? Well, it means that there are some factors that can mitigate one's personal personal culpability, right? So it's always going to be a sin. So it's not someone's not going to say, "Well, I, I it's a it's a habit." So my my priest in the last confession told me it's not a sin for me. Like, no, 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 it's always a sin. It's always a grave sin. It might your one's culpability might be lessened because of habit or because of addiction or something like this. Now, I always find it very difficult or very problematic. When in confession, priests will say things like, oh, don't worry about this. Uh, you you have a habit now because of this, because then the counsel is, oh, well, I'm giving myself a pass when it comes to this because I'm not going to struggle against this because it's just a habit for me. I would say I would caution against that in a, in a significant way. At the same time, the number of people that I've also encountered who have been incredibly discouraged by their battle against masturbation and also usually pornography is 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 a great number of people. So we have to find this middle road and this middle road of, okay, I'm well, one person might have to find themselves being very patient with themselves when it comes to this lifelong battle, maybe against masturbation or pornography, this, this disorder, this broken, you know, selfishness, that's meant to be a self gift, be patient at the same time. One cannot give themselves a free pass or I think priests in confession we ought not to quickly give someone a free pass because this is a battle they're meant to actually fight. And so I would just encourage that it's a narrow walk, right? It's kind of, sometimes it's a razor's edge. And sometimes because it's such a razor's edge, when it comes to our counsels, what I'm talking about, whether that be, okay, be patient with yourself or whether it be like, no, let's be diligent. I always say these words. I always just say, okay, how about this? How about this? Be patient with yourself, but ruthless with your environment. Here's what I mean. If a person finds himself in a place where, yeah, I keep coming back to pornography, keep coming back to masturbation, like, okay, okay, be patient with yourself and continue to pray, continue to go back to confession, but at the, at the same time, be ruthless with your environment. Why are you allowing this to still be part of your life? If, if your phone is your problem, then do something, about, do something about your phone. Be ruthless with that. If your computer is your problem, whatever, because typically that's, the, that's our modern day sources, right, of pornography in the world right now is, is through the internet. So if those are the problems, then be ruthless with your environment. And I mean that in a way like this, one can only be patient with themselves and say, okay, God, let me let your grace come to me when I'm ruthless with my environment, when I know I've taken every step I possibly can to free myself from having this poison in my home. Then I can be patient with myself when I fall. Thank you. You can be, you can be patient with yourself when you fall. But if I'm going to compromise with evil and say, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. You might be right. It'll be fine. And again, I, I work in director of youth ministry for our diocese and I work on college campus for the last almost 20 years now. So the reason why I feel like I have something to say about this is because this has been the story of so many men and women that I work with. This recognition of saying, okay, get rid of the stuff. Don't tolerate poison in your life. And then what you're going to find is you can be at peace because it's like, well, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You're right. It'll be fine for nine days. And on the 10th day, it won't be fine anymore. It'll be fine for a week. And then the day after that, it won't be fine. It'll be fine for two weeks. And then the day after that, it won't be fine. So the the invitation, of course, is in this moment, here's just some counsel. If this is an issue in your life or the life of someone you love, be ruthless with your environment, but patient with yourself. Be ruthless with your environment, but patient with yourself. Hope that makes sense and hope this wasn't overly long. <laughs> Gosh, but, but there's a lot to say. 
because this is a big issue. Tomorrow, we're also talking about a issue that is very present and real in many people's lives, as well as in the life of our culture, as we look tomorrow at chastity and homosexuality. We'll look at that for those three paragraphs and talk about that and pray through that as well, because all of this, again, all of this touches on what's deep in the human heart. And so let's pray for each other because we're talking about stuff that's deep to all of our hearts. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.